Welcome to another PCT Podcast. I'm Brad Harvison, and I'm pleased to welcome Andrew Grease. Andrew is a pest control equipment expert, and you can check out his website at qspray.com. And Andrew also wrote the recent PCT feature article, Revenue Boosters, in which he shared some of the tools and techniques that he's used to grow Q-Spray into a multi-million dollar business. In the following podcast, we're going to take a closer look at some of these revenue-boosting ideas and learn from Andrew how PCOs can integrate them into their businesses. Andrew, thanks for joining me today. Brad, it's great to be here, and I'm pleased to be a contributor to PCT Magazine. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Andrew, uh, again, I want to start there with the article. And in the article, you discussed using technology to eliminate non-revenue-generating tasks. What are some tasks that can be outsourced to web services, and also what tasks should still be handled internally? Well, that's a great question, Brad. And every person and every company has different tasks. So rather than talk about specific tasks, I'd like to talk about kind of categories or a strategy. And the first thing I wanted to mention is the 80-20 rule. Most people have heard of this. The 80-20 rule is called the Pareto Principle. And what that says is 80% of the value you get comes from 20% of what you do. So if we can eliminate the the 80% of the stuff that doesn't contribute high value, so you can focus more on the 20% of the stuff that does, you'll get better results. So. You want to eliminate low-value tasks. And the first thing is, can you eliminate it? If you can't eliminate it, can you delegate it? And it doesn't have to be to technology. It could be to technology. It could be to uh, a website. It could be to another person. You know, I have a, a part-time marketing person who uh, who is a college kid, does a great job for me, and doesn't cost a lot of money. So the first question is, can we eliminate it? Can we delegate it to someone else? Or can we outsource it? But what you want to look for are tasks. First, you want to look at tasks that are low value. Can you eliminate them? Then you want to look for tasks you're not skilled in. If it's not something you do all the time, it's probably something someone else can do better. And one of the things I see, for example, on some of the Facebook groups, the pest control Facebook groups, is some of the PCOs are trying to do their own marketing designs like flyers and logos and and ads and door hangers. And if that's not something you're good at, you probably should outsource it. So a way to do that would be draw it up, you know, here's, a, here's what I wanted to say, and then find someone who's a good graphic artist and let them do it. You'll get much better results. It won't cost you a lot of money. These people are really skilled at it, and just because you're good at, at running a pest control company doesn't mean you're skilled at everything, and you've got to identify what you're good at. And the next step I would look at would be what are the high-dollar value tasks? What are the tasks that you do that make you the most money? And those are the things you want to focus on. And the things that don't make you a lot of money should be, again, eliminated or outsourced. And another further distinction is high lifetime value tasks. So what are the tasks that give me the highest value over my lifetime? So an example for my life would be, you know, talking to a customer and trying to make a sale is a high dollar value task for me. But a high lifetime value task for me would be creating a new marketing campaign or rolling out a new website or offering a new product. Those are all over the lifetime of that product or that campaign, they're going to have a higher lifetime value. So it really makes sense to look at things from that perspective, and uh, um, you really can focus your efforts where you're going to make the most money and have the best results. Yeah. And I know one of some of the new technology that you found to be successful are these tracking apps to determine you know, where you're allocating your time. What have you learned about the way you're allocating your time, and, and how have you maybe changed your behavior as a result? <laughs> Well, I've learned I was wasting a lot of time. I mean, there's no question about it. And 
clearly with all the technology we have at our disposal today that's supposed to make us more efficient, I think in many cases it makes us less efficient. And so, you know, for example, your phone is a time suck. And it is so easy to waste time on your phone or on your on the internet on your computer that you know, that's the first thing that you have to look at eliminating. And so one of the things I found is that, you know, I use airplane mode when I'm on an airplane, but you really can create more results by using airplane mode while you're at your office or while you're at home working by turning your phone into airplane mode so that you're not distracted. And that was a, a key learning for me. Another key learning is that planning really saves time and makes me money. So, for example, every night I plan my next day. What am I going to do? What are the three or four most important things I've got to get done? And then every Friday afternoon I plan my following week. Now, do I always follow the plan to the, to the, to the nth degree? Of course not. I mean, stuff happens. We own businesses. We're busy. Stuff, you know, problems occur. So do I always stick to the plan? No. But a little bit of time planning what needs to get done really helps me focus and, and work on the most important and most valuable things first. Another thing I've found is that uh, is using time blocks. So if I have a task to do, if I allocate two hours to it and just say I'm not going to do anything else for these two hours except this task, that really helps. And what, the way I do it is I say I want to work on this for 50, I set my my alarm on my phone, I work for 50 minutes on it, and I, then I take 10 minutes off, I walk around, I get a cup of coffee, I go say hello to someone, I come back and work on it for another 50 minutes, I get 10 minutes off. And by using time blocks to really focus on an important task, you can get them done. A couple of other things that I found are valuable is one is, you know, as business owners, we want to be helpful. you got to learn to say no. And too many of us say yes because we want to be a nice guy or a nice girl. We want to be helpful, but you really got to learn to say no on stuff that is just not a priority for you, your family, or your company. Other things that have been helpful to me, I try to group common activities. So if I have phone calls to make, I don't make phone calls once, you know, one every five, one every hour. I group them all together and try to make them in the car. Or if I have errands to run, I try to group them all together and get them done all at once. And that can lead to some efficiencies. And the, the last thing I do when I have a really big project is I set micro goals. So instead of having to, you know, if, I, if my goal is to create a new marketing campaign, that's a big job and it, it can be overwhelming. You know, it's like how do you eat an elephant one bite at a time. So I set a micro goal. Okay, today I'm just gonna I'm just gonna create the name of the program. Tomorrow I'm just gonna do an outline or a project plan. The day after that I'm I'm gonna create the bullet points for the action steps. And by setting little micro goals, you can really make progress and get that elephant eaten. Uh, Andrew, I want to talk a little bit about uh, PCO websites. Um, I think a lot of folks in the industry put a lot of uh, energy and effort into you know. Um, kind of decluttering their websites to really make them this vehicle for turning prospects into customers. And talk about that a little bit. How can PCOs declutter the websites so that really they're more functional? That's really important to most of us because websites are how many of our customers or prospects find us the first time. And I think the most important thing to keep in mind is that most most prospects and most customers don't care about your company. They just really don't care. They don't care about your logo. They don't care about your license number. They don't care about most of the things that are important to you. What they care about is solving their problem. They care about themselves, their family, their home, and their problems. And so I think it's critical that your website demonstrate that you, A, care about their, you understand their problem, you care about their problem, and you are the best company to solve their problem. And if you look 
look at your website from the customer perspective, I think you can really make some major improvements. And um, I actually just did a 30-minute training class on making your pest control website more effective, getting more more Google clicks, and I'm going to make that available for free to uh, the listeners of this podcast at the end of this. But really, you got to take a hard look at your website. And, and, you know, another thing is sometimes, you know, we all think our baby is beautiful. Sometimes you need someone else to look at your website. Get, get someone, get your friends or your family to look at your website and say, what do you think about this? If you were, if you were a customer with a roach problem, what do you think about this website? The other thing that we need to consider is that, you know, one homepage doesn't do it for every customer and every problem. You probably need individual web pages for either different types of customers or different types of pest problems or different locations. You need to look at your website from your customer perspective because if you try to be all, if you have to just have a, a, a homepage and you're trying to be all things to all people, you're probably going to just lose everyone. So those are a couple of hints. Yeah, and, uh, and Andrew, also on this topic of, of turning prospects into customers, in the article you had mentioned the value of a drip campaign. Um, can you explain that a little bit more? What, what exactly is a drip campaign? Sure. Well, let me start by talking about what it's not. And when you look at pest control websites, most of them today, or many, I would say not most, too many of them are just brochureware. It's just a brochure for the customer. And most, many of them also only offer the customer or the prospect two options. Most of them are trying to get the customer to schedule a free inspection. And if they don't want to schedule a free inspection, pretty much their only other option is to leave or go somewhere else. So what if that prospect, I mean, you've spent the time and the money to get them to your website, but what if they're not ready to commit to an inspection? We've all been in this situation. You, you, know, you go on the Internet to look for a product you're thinking about buying. You're starting to do research. You may not be ready to, to buy. You're just doing your homework. You're doing some research. You're trying to solve a question or a problem. So what if that customer or prospect who gets to your website is not ready to commit to that inspection? If you don't have another option for them, you, you could lose them. And, and frankly, we, we spent that time, we spent that money to get them there. We don't want to lose them. So anyone who comes to your website is probably a pretty, at least a warm prospect. You want to capture that information. So you want to keep them interested so that when they are ready to buy, they contact you. And that's where a drip campaign can come in. And a drip campaign is just staying in touch. In the old days, a drip campaign was a, uh, a mailed newsletter, and that's still a great way to do it. Most, most companies don't do newsletters anymore. That's a great way to do it. Our company, we do a, a bi-monthly newsletter, it's a, a digital email newsletter, to try to stay in touch. You want to stay in, in, in front of your customers so when they, do, or when they are ready to buy, they think of you, not someone else. And you got to keep them interested. The other thing about uh, websites is a lot of them only offer one way to contact you, call us or email us. You, you know, these days there's so many different customers and so many different ways that different customers want to contact you. You want to make it easy for them. If they want to call you, make it easy for them to call. If they want to email you, make it easy for them to email. If they want to chat, make it easy for them to chat. If they want to text, and this is something where old guys like me have a challenge, you know, if they want to chat with you, you got to make it easy for them to chat because, you know, they're a warm prospect. You don't want to let them get away. You got to keep them interested. Yeah, and, and obviously, as you mentioned, um, one of the keys to these drip campaigns is being able to capture email addresses. What are some effective ways that you've found to capture email addresses for such a campaign? Well, you have 
have to look at it as a customer's e email address has value. The customer doesn't want to give it to you unless you give them some value in exchange. And if you have it and you can put them on a drip campaign, then you might not get them as a customer today, but you might get them as a customer next month or six months from now. So in exchange for their email address, you have to give them value. So think about what's valuable to your customer that you can give them, generally something that is something you're good at and something that doesn't cost a lot of money because at this point we don't know what that, that prospect is worth. So the most common types of value that you would exchange for a, a email address would be a tip sheet. Here's 10 tips to get rid of roaches in your home or checklists. Here's a checklist to ensure your home is pest free. Or you can get more specific. Here's a checklist for getting rid of roaches in Phoenix, Arizona. White papers, if you, you know, write a white paper on a, a topic that you're an expert in, people are interested in that. Or as we mentioned, a newsletter. And, uh, you know, you want to, you want to, once you get their email address and get them this value in exchange, you want to stay in contact. If you don't, if you send them a tip sheet or a checklist and you don't follow up with them for six months or a year, then you're pretty much, it's a, it's a cold prospect already because they, they've already gone cold. You want to stay in front of them. You want to make sure they remember who you are. And, uh, don't let them get away. Andrew, the next here I wanted to, to touch on here was uh, online reviews. Uh, I know a lot of PCOs uh, are really you know, putting a lot of time and resources into this as it's become increasingly important to, to not only to, to monitor but to respond. I mean, how often do you think PCOs should check online reviews and what are some do's and don'ts for responding to online reviews? Well, you know, it's a, it's a different world today where one customer can really impact your business with a bad review. And, and in many cases, those bad reviews aren't even accurate or fair, but you, you, that's, that's life as we, as we know it and we have to deal with it. So the first thing I would do would be check it frequently and respond immediately. Um, one of the things you can do is Google has a product called Google Alerts, and you can type in whatever keywords you want Google to search for you, and they'll send you an email every day. So I think every PCO should be doing Google Alerts on their company name, on themselves. You could do it on your competitors. I do Google Alerts on my kids and my family just to make sure nothing negative pops up about any of them. Um, so Google Alerts is the first thing, and that will help you uh, maintain an awareness of what's going on for yourself and your company. The next thing is I think you need to respond to every review. And I respond, even even positive reviews should be should get a response. If someone took the time to write you a review, you need to thank them. And the other thing is when you're responding to a review, it's really, really critical that you remember you're not just responding to the author. In fact, it's more important to think of you responding to everyone. You know, the author is one person. The person who wrote the review is one person. but you know, that review is going to be there forever. It could be 10 or 20 or 100 or 1,000 people are going to read that review. So you're responding to everyone who's going to read it forever. And so, for example, on a positive review, what I do is I thank them uh, for their purchase, and I use the name of the product in the response so that Google uh, searches that and it helps me with SEO. So, for example, if you're a pest control guy, hey, thanks, thanks so much for complimenting us on our pest control service in Phoenix, Arizona. You want to repeat what you did to show that you're an expert, and hopefully Google picks that up. You want to thank them for the great review, and you want to I, – I often take an opportunity to do a little bit more marketing. So I'll say, hey, thank you so much for buying that Birchmeyer backpack, and thanks for that great five-star review. We really appreciate it. By the way, we stock all the parts for your Birchmeyer backpack. So when you need something, give us a call. And by the way, our business is built on referrals, so please tell a friend or colleague about us. So 
So I would use a positive review as an opportunity to reinforce, to thank them, to reinforce the purchase, but also see if you can't do a little marketing to them or to someone else to get them to call you the next time. Okay, and that's how I do a positive review. On a negative review, and it seems like the negative reviews are really negative, there's almost no middle ground anymore. When you respond to a negative review, I wouldn't even respond to the person. Don't write it for the person who wrote the review. Write it for everyone else who's reading it, who saw that you got a one-star review. And so you want to you want to suggest that this was an exception, and here's how we normally do it, and and um, we have you know 25 star reviews, and and you want to write it to the people who are reading it afterwards that this is an exception and it's probably another side to the story. You can't get too defensive because that, that won't look good. But write the review to future readers, not to that one person. Generally, uh, the person who gives you a one-star review is, is usually by that time they're pretty PO'd and it's tough to save them. Sometimes you can save them. It's tough to save them through a review. You're better off calling them and trying to fix it. I mean, that's something to do, too, is get a negative review. If you can get a phone number, call them and say, hey, sorry, how do I fix this? And sometimes that can turn them around. But the key is remembering your writing. That review is going to be there forever. Your response is going to be there forever. And write it for the, the 10x number of people who are going to see it rather than the person who wrote it. Yeah. And then, um, again, taking a look at... Um Internet and social media. I know you're you're very active on social media. Um, you in the article you kind of mentioned, it, hey, you know, I, I, in my opinion, it, it's better to, to focus on just a few social media outlets. How do you determine, you know, which social social media outlets are, are best for a pest control business? Yeah, this is a tough one, and I think it's absolutely critical to focus just for mental health. And frankly, you know, the older you are, the tougher social media is. I'm a grumpy old man, and social media can really make me even grumpier. And there's just there's too many of them, so you, you can't make a dent in all of them, and you're better off being great in a one or two than being non-existent or unimportant in all of them. So it's better to focus your efforts and really be a presence in a couple of areas. So the first question is, where are your customers? And that's where you want to be. So whatever customer group, and it could be different social media outlets for different customer groups. But for example, if you're if you're trying to get commercial business, perhaps there's a group on LinkedIn for uh, business managers or building managers or building owners. And that would be a great place to post content. And you don't want to sell. You want to post value. You know, here are some tips that you can do to reduce pest problems in your commercial building. But provide value to those people in that social media group or outlet and let them know that you're the expert. And don't try to do too much selling. Try to make it so that you're the expert and when they have a problem, they're going to call you. And I mentioned in the article that there's a, this, one of the biggest social media experts in the country is a guy named Gary Vaynerchuk. He started out with a wine store in New Jersey and basically invented video, blo video blogging. And he's a social media expert, and he wrote a book called Jab, 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 Right Hook. And his point is a jab is I'm giving my customer value. So I'll give you value. Here's some information that's helpful, and I'll put, he'll put value out there three or four days in a row, and then the right hook is, is try to sell them something. Oh, here's some value, and by the way, you know, here's, here's a product we offer. So you can't try to do – if you try to do too much selling on social media, you're just going to turn people off, and they're going to ignore you. They're just going to – they're not even going to look at your posts anymore. So you want to add value in places where your customers are. 
And then, you know, uh, Andrew, we, we've spent a lot of, of time on this podcast here talking about sort of the, the newer digital marketing strategies. Is there still a place for traditional physical marketing, you know, mail, print ads, brochures? And if so, you know, where does that fit in with the current day online marketing strategy? That's a great question, and I think it's one that too many of us uh, ignore. And I think it's absolutely best to combine multiple marketing strategies, both physical marketing and digital marketing. You don't want to rely, if you rely just one method of marketing, like for example, just Google AdWords, it's really risky because if, if something changes and we know that Google changes their algorithm, you know, you could be in, in, in serious trouble. And, you know, we know that email rates are dropping. We know that people are overwhelmed. We know they're spending too much time on their phone. And so, it's, it's a great idea to do traditional physical marketing, and to tie it in with your digital marketing is great. And to refer to each one, you know, hey, uh, your, your print marketing can refer to an, your, your email newsletter or vice versa. And so you want to stay in front of that customer, and, you know, they say it takes like seven to nine seven to nine times before customers actually realize who you are or remember you. And so combining the, the physical marketing, the mail or the print ads with other types of marketing is a really good idea. The other thing I'd say is do something different. So figure out what your competitors are doing and do something else. Be memorable. If you do the same thing everyone else is doing, you're not going to stand out. So if everyone's doing door hangers, figure out a different way. If everyone's doing... Uh, a postcard, do something different, make it bigger, make it different. You know, one of the things we do on our, our Q-Spray uh, pest control equipment orders is we put a package of licorice and a rubber roach in all our, pack, in all our packages. And we have gotten such great feedback on that roach. We, you know, some people say, you scared the heck out of me, but I loved it. You scared my wife. You know, don't have, you know they think of us as a, as a fun company, and they appreciate it. We had one lady who was really angry. She said, that wasn't funny. But we stand, the roach makes us stand out. And so whatever you do, do something different, stand out, and combining traditional physical marketing with digital or online marketing is a great idea, and I, I strongly encourage you know, A physical written newsletter is something almost no one does anymore because it takes time and it costs money. But if you do it, even if it's not completely about pest control, people eventually will remember you and, and, and call you when they need something. Well, those were some uh, great insights, Andrew. I really appreciate you joining us uh, today. And can you uh, tell folks uh, where they can go to learn more about you and your company? Sure. Well, our pest control equipment website is qspray.com. But for the listeners of this podcast, I've created a couple of uh, additional marketing resources that we're going to give them away for free. We've got uh, three free marketing resources just for the PCT listeners. The first one's called 21 Strategies for Immediate Income from from Your Existing Customers. And a lot of people, when a lot of company owners, when they want more business, they think of, I've got to get more customers. And they, they don't always think of, how do I get more income from my existing customers? So I've got a 21-point uh, checklist for how to get more income from existing customers. I've got a, another checklist, 101 Guerrilla Marketing Weapons, which is 101 creative, low-cost ways to get more business. And then I've also done a half-an-hour training video on four secrets to boost your website results. And I've I've shared some uh, web secrets that we've used to grow our business, and many of these secrets are are things experts charge thousands of bucks for. As soon as that video is ready, I'll send it out to everyone. But if if the listeners go to pestcontrolprofitclub.com and put their email address in, I will send them all these resources. That's Pest Control Profit Club. It was just a a domain I had, so I forwarded it to my website. It's easy to remember. Go to Pest Control Profit Club, and I'll send you those three free resources. 
Well, great. I appreciate you uh, uh, providing our listeners with uh, some additional resources. And again, to all our listeners, I would encourage everyone to check out Andrew's article, Revenue Boosters, which appears in PCT's August issue, and that's also available. It can be downloaded from our website, which is uh, www.pctonline.com. I want to thank everyone for listening today, and have a great day.